everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. So the past few months, I've been wanting to try out a concept called Beth's in Show. You know, play on Best in Show, but also just I, I feel like on podcasts, people interview a lot of public facing people, a lot of times the same people. And these that's wonderful and important. But also I have this whole audience of really interesting people with experiences and hobbies and obsessions and rabbit holy spirits. And I thought it would be fun to start interviewing some of you guys and having you in the show predominantly as a as Patreon bonus content, because I I do think it is a weird experience to hear yourself um, a talking b putting out on a platform dealing with any feedback you get from that. And I I don't know. I want to protect you guys from the bullshit I deal with. But also, um, I want it to be like a fun community thing where people can comment on the posts and people aren't intimidated to kind of just allow one of their quirky interests to shine. So a lot of these will be on Patreon, especially throughout Matt leave. Because I just I'm if I'm having this baby like semi soon, I just don't know what to expect. I might have all the things to say and all the content to make. I might, you know need some backup. So we're just, we're preparing accordingly. And anyway, so a lot of these will be on Patreon once I uh, have time to like edit and pair them. But today on the main feed, I wanted to share two of the earliest ones I did that, I think I did them on the same night that were like just an amazing example of the spectrum of light and heavy of trivial and meaningful of, you know, kind of what what I always want to represent on this podcast. Like we can be both. We can care about religious trauma and we can also want to deep dive Mary Kate Nashley's detective series as a grown woman, you know, midweek when we have other things to do, but they are on YouTube. And kind of like when I realized that Barbie, uh <laughs> like former VHS where they go to Epcot was on YouTube. Like when you find out these niche former VHS obsessions you had are on YouTube, suddenly it's urgent and you have to drop everything. And um, that's what we do in the first interview. So a listener named Tracy wrote in wanting to talk about Mary Kate and Ashley, specifically their detective series, which interested me because I'm so fixated on their direct VHS films. And one of a very popular episode was in Mary Kate and Ashley deep dive we did two years ago that I actually had a Beth on for Kelly bear. And it was super fun. We kind of talked through like their whole catalog, but specifically we went into their detective series called the adventures of Mary Kate and Ashley. And I give more context in the interview with Tracy, but I cannot, I implore you to pause this episode, to go to YouTube, to watch the case of the mystery cruise, Mary Kate and Ashley, and just be like, was this a fever dream? <laughs> what, what is this? The, they're they're doing the least. They profited the most. I don't know why they ever felt they, the need to sing and dance. And that's just not their their core talent. The the, the plot's tough. The I mean, it'll, it'll really take you back. So we talk about that one a lot, but also kind of the is this broader chunk of the catalog. And it was just a fun convo that I know since so many of you love MKNA, you'd probably appreciate hearing, as well as the departure. Uh I don't know. It's like all of a sudden we're worried about aliens and it's like, uh, it's too much for me to take on. I just want to watch some simple programming. So I thought you might enjoy the escape. And then the second uh, interview on this episode is with a 
listener named Maddie who wanted to talk about Mormon missions. Full disclosure, she's now an ex-Mormon. I know that this can get mixed feedback depending on where you stand. I just like to remind people that everyone is entitled to share their own experience. You cannot tell somebody how to feel about their own experience. And she's not saying that all missions are this, that, or the other. She's talking about uh, what it was like for her and sharing more about some themes that honestly like involve religious mission work period that I've thought a lot about as I've gotten older from kind of the colonialism angle to the white saviorism angle to um, even just relying on like the supernatural safety of God and sending people somewhere they're not, you know, they don't understand the language, they're not equipped to go, that might be potentially dangerous. And just a trigger warning, she does talk about a situation involving sexual assault on her mission trip. Um, and I just thought it was a really interesting look into a pocket of Mormonism since we've talked about it more broad strokes and different capacities on this podcast. And I, you know, I'm happy to share a listener's story. And also that's the core theme of the Book of Mormon musical, right? It's kind of focusing on the mission piece. And I didn't know a lot about the experience of especially being a female and doing one. So appreciate you guys listening and being open to hearing about some hobbies, interests, experiences, and or snorkels. Uh, fellow Be There in Five listeners wanted to wanted to do on air. And be sure to go to patreon.com slash be there in five, where we'll put up some more in the coming weeks. There are a lot of like fun ones coming. I put a form up on Instagram and we contacted some of the earliest ones we got. So we got way more um, interest in this than I ever thought of people would want to like be on air. So I'm sorry if we haven't contacted you. We're just like making our way through trying to find a balance of topics. But that form is in the show notes. Um, and I'm sure I think Courtney will post it on the Be There in Five Instagram account if you want to submit yourself. And I also am doing kind of like a more. I wanted mom advice from the best. Um, I think it'll be on Patreon during Matt leave some of the parenting focused convos that uh, I had with you guys as well. So there's a whole wide range of topics here, which we love. One thing I have to figure out. So there's some variability in audio quality, understandably, like most people don't have podcasting equipment. So in one, like there's an echo and you kind of get used to it, listening to it. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to have an editor help me with these going forward so I can like better like produce the sound. Um, but I still think it's perfectly fine to listen to just a heads up. And yeah, so we'll get right into it again. Go to YouTube and watch the case of the mystery cruise. If you're a Mary Kate and Ashley fan, uh, first we'll thank some advertisers who make this program possible and who are enabling me to, Still have the podcast on air despite not having a maternity leave. So please support them because <laughs> I am forever grateful. Enjoy. One of the things I unanimously saw on every registry recommendation was the hatch rest. And I have a new and improved second generation hatch rest that's designed to make sleep better and more magical for the entire family. And I'm already loving it, even though I don't have a kid yet. But the all in one hatch rest is a smart sleep device with a sound machine and nightlight that grows with your kids. I also like the two-in-one element because everyone told me to get an adjustable nightlight and a sound machine, and this has both. But what's nice is it grows with the kids. So babies love the continuous sounds of white noise and lullabies for a soothing and comfortable sleep environment. 
And then toddlers and big kids can build sleep independence with the color and sound cues. There's a time for bed pairing alert that tells them it's time to wind down for the night with, you know, colors and sounds. And there's a time to rise signal that lets them know when it's okay to get out of bed for the day, keeping those early risers in bed longer. And I just thought this was like such a good idea. I would have loved that as a kid, kind of not knowing when I could or couldn't emerge from my room when it was or wasn't lights out. It's kind of like a stoplight for when it's chilled to head downstairs and like rummage through the pantry. Uh, and you can also operate it from your phone and adjust the settings remotely without going in and waking up the kid, which is cool. And I've been feeling like I'm collecting these baby products that I can use for like, I don't know, three months at a time. And then they grow out of it. And that just frustrates me. And I love the long potential longevity of this. But also I've been using it in my room and I'm bringing it to the hospital because I just love the low ambient lighting and the sound machine element for me. But the rest has helped over 3 million babies and parents get restful sleep. It's no wonder that it's consistently a top baby registry item. And right now, Hatch is offering our listeners up to 15% off your purchase of a Hatch Rest and free shipping at hatch.co slash be there in five. So if you're ready for improved sleep for your kids and yourself, go to hatch.co slash be there in five to get up to 15% off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash be there in five. I've been loving hearing about you guys that have converted to base luggage. It really is so good and thoughtfully designed. My weekenders currently packed for a hospital stay, but for most of you, you're probably out going on glamorous trips or weddings or bachelorette parties or romantic weekends away. Everyone's traveling this time of year. And the base weekender is the perfect companion for any summer getaway. But as are all their products, I am obsessed with their rollerboard suitcases that have a memory foam handle and 360 wheels, a dirty clothes bag. They fit so much stuff. I've told you about the diaper bag that I like to QVC style show people because I use it as my like regular backpack. I take it to the gym. It has like a whole fold out thing that you can put your kid on to like change their diaper, a place for wipes, a million pockets. It's like very discreet and you could carry it as a regular bag or a diaper bag, which I also like. It's not too babyish. And I'm just a big fan of the brand. Base was created by actress Shay Mitchell to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage and accessories designed to help you Travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. I've been seeing the lime and berry colors all over TikTok, and they're so cute. The luggage comes in multiple sizes and colors. And for shorter trips, like I said, the weekender bag is super functional and has this amazing bottom compartment where you can store your shoes separately, and it fits like a lot of stuff. I have like a blanket and a robe and shower shoes and all the things that I was told to bring for my hospital bag in it currently, and I still have some room to spare. Every piece that base makes is is meant to look better with miles, too, so you don't have to worry about it in cargo or overhead, and they have over 30,000 five-star reviews. And right now, base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash be there in five. Go to basetravel.com slash be there in five for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash be there in five. Hi, Tracy. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. I'm having like extreme technical difficulties. Oh my gosh, you're fine. Can you hear and see me? I can. Can you hear and see me? Yeah, you're good. You had to know I was going to be interested in the topic you submitted. <laughs> I'm already recording, by the way. I um, uh, Upon revisiting, it's like, you, I wish I could get like Keith Morrison style narration of like who stole the great hope diamond. Oh my God. Killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> and like what hearing is that in song your brother's dress rushed back to me. 
I I called my brother. I was like, do you remember, do you remember our like obsession with these films? And like they go to the Navy. The US Navy is featured. <laughs> Just so right. it it's fu- so okay. My first question is what made you because you wrote in and said you wanted to talk about Mary Kate and Ashley, like direct to VHS, but you said specifically their detective series. Yes. Which surprised me. So what is it about this detective series that <laughs> stood the test that, of time for you? That's why it's important to me. Cause like my best friend, I was talking to her about it. She's nobody knows them. Like that's why I was, I was impressed that you knew them because we, we didn't have cable growing up. So mm-hmm. my brother and I, I have a sister too, but she's, I don't know, not in it. We would go to the library and like get, you would check out the VHS and they had the things you could like squeeze on the side to get the video out. And we would try to be as with the times as we could. Um, and we just really got into these murder, mi- well, they're not murder, mystery murder. ones. Also- <laughs> well, True there's crime. Like a, there's, there are, the crimes have to be solved by dinner time, Kate. Like, solved we any just- crime by dinner time is another thing that came, hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, how I did mean- I ever forget this? <laughs> it's pure genius. And their dog's name is Clue, which gives me like, um, Who's the beagle that also like relives in books? Oh, he's on PBS. He's like, he's, yes, he, the detective he tells, beagle. He tells like classic book stories by dog. He gives me those. He gives me that. Totally. I mean, so wishbone. He said, he's like wishbone. Wishbone. That's in case any millennials, I mean, I'm sure most of you remember, but in 1994, on their I guess spare time from Full House. The Olsen twins start to moonlight as super duper snoopers in their detective series, The Adventures of Mary Kate and Ashley. With yeah, they, they have a trusty dog clue. They're called the trench coat twins. The trench coat twins. And they like will post signs where they when they go places for this Olsen mystery agency and they promise to solve any crime by dinner time. Now, what I didn't understand is it's like, yeah, after your intrepid quest to Blockbuster or the local library, you get one VHS, you come home, it's 14 minutes. <laughs> They're so short. <laughs> they, they are in and out. There's also, I kind of forgot. I went back, to, back and watched a bunch. There's much more singing than I remembered. Like, it is fully a musical mystery. That's what it is. The, okay, the, this, is, uh, this is a question I had for you. So the one I watched right before we recorded is a classic. Um, I believe it's called The Case of the Mystery Cruise. That's my favorite mimes. one. That's it's favorite the best one. one. It's the best one. Dad is like working on his laptop. (laughs) Okay. If you are listening, you need to drop everything now. (laughs) We'll put the link in the bio. Go to the case of the mystery cruise. There's so much there from like the parents, like making out at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) The parents are featured in every episode. So like you, they at one point also work for SeaWorld. They're very intrepid. They're like SeaWorld trainers. The, every Mary Kate and Ashley movie has a through line of parents that are absolute goobers. It's a dad that like works a little too much and a mom that's like a little too affectionate. Like she's a little too flirty. <laughs> yeah. Very flirty. Very fun one piece collection. Um, And I, I was kind of thinking back on this time and like the stickiness of this concept. And I'm like, you know, whether it was like the babysitters club or Harriet the spy or like whatever, there was something appealing about like, 90s child stars doing light contract work cosplaying as adults that really interested me like i could actually be for hire yes yes 
Well, they they also like, I don't know. I didn't put this in my submission. I don't know if you ever watched their party videos. It was like right around the same time. It was like Mary Kate. You're invited. Yeah, you're invited to a slumber party. <laughs> oh like yeah, a costume party, and the same thing. Like there's a there's a delicious theme song involved. There's some like nice sounds in the background, but it felt like you could be at their slumber party. Like you could solve a crime. You could start a minor detective agency in your attic. I think you're. What's so interesting is that I think that over time, when they got older and they got into you know, Billboard Dad, Our Lips Are Sealed, Winning London Holiday. Like, they got into that direct VHS pipeline. Those movies are so objectively strong, in my opinion. It almost eclipses their early career. Correct. No, they're like two different. I I truly made my best friend watch an episode. I was like, this is what I'm going to be talking about. And we, look, we are winning London. Like, I'm 35. I still would join like teen model UN if that's what I would get out of it. You know, it's to be. I would still wear a printed low rise bell bottom. I mean, they <laughs> really, the, their pants and their um, loose waves in winning London were a cultural oh. reset. The, the entire winning London, like from start to finish, there's a lot going on in there. There's like a romance between the teachers, but that is high quality compared to these movies. These are. These- these movies were shocking to me to rewatch. And that was one of my <laughs> questions for you is because one of my favorite things about early Mary Kate and Ashley is they give about 30%. <laughs> these, these are not ingenues. These are not young, high potential starlets. These are girls doing the absolute least, doing like basic blocking of dance moves and singing, <laughs> but not doing a full out, as they say in cheer. These, no. <laughs> these are rehearsals <laughs> at best. No, there is... There- there is a scene in the one I also rewatched. The U.S. Navy one is a favorite of mine because the fact that they did have enough connections to get it's the Pearl Harbor. It's like the USS Pearl Harbor is is paid honestly. Wow, in the I film, didn't see that one in the fourteen minute film, and they sing just like they're asleep. They're not hitting any notes. They're like, that's what I don't get. It's like okay, you have these insanely popular actresses, and then you put them in a format that quite literally plays to their weaknesses. Like why have them sing? Why have them dance? They can't do either. Also, that's not what they were famous for. Like they were not famous for being two singers. Their acting isn't believable, but they're, they're so cute. Their comedic timing's good. The (laughs) storylines, like they did a good job with the story, but then all of a sudden, you know, so we're on a cruise. The dad is working on something on his laptop and he's like, it has a big communications job, we gather. <laughs> His laptop gets stolen in the middle of pursuing the, the culprit. They are like enter stage left in matching costumes and do a full out routine with mimes on the cruise deck <laughs> called Who Would You Be? And it's like there's there's no context. No. Why are they performing? What does this song have anything to do with anything? <laughs> Is this just to further get, uh, is it to throw us, the viewer, off our scent from Flippy and from the, Bobo? <laughs> right, from, the, from the true mystery of the show. <laughs> Maybe that is the mystery. I think they wanted to really soften the, soften our suspicions. There's two mimes that they're dancing with creepily as minor <laughs> young girls named Flippy and Bobo and they're dressed kind of in like from French mime very classic whatever. mime not not a typical yeah. cruise performer not a typical 
Right. And uh, then, I mean, the the the, sto- the plot is airtight. <laughs> <Then> <laughs> they basically figure out that this guy that they saw steal the briefcase, if it's not him, what else could it be? Oh, there could be somebody that looks like him because they're twins. And Isn't- some people have people that look like them. Like, Isn't that? <laughs> It was so good from tip to tail. And then they basically figure out somehow that Flippy the Mime stole it or it's in Flippy the Mime's locker. And then the most frustrating part, I don't know about you, but they are running from the guy when they finally get the laptop back and they end up on stage performing with more clowns. I don't know why this is like a clown cruise. And um, they put the briefcase down while they're pretending to perform. I was like, well, are you insane? <laughs> you worked so hard to get the briefcase. I was so angry. <laughs> and then, of course, he gets it. And it results in a high-speed chase. on a. Which is- you, we know better than you can't run on a cruise deck. Well, <laughs> I mean, they were small. They could hide in any nook and cranny. I know. It was so, it was so ridiculous. I would tell you, if you have, if you're later tonight, like you have 20 minutes to spare, go back and just put another one in your repertoire. Like just ease into it. Cause the, not to beat a dead U.S. Navy mystery here, but it starts with a song that also has nothing to do with anything. And it's about mold in their lunchbox. What? The mold, the mold is a green feather. Just sort of like, even the props department did not give it their all. Okay, so what is the loose plot of the U.S. Navy one? Uh, the loose plot is that they get a phone call, you know, into the agency um, yeah. that there is UFO getting closer and closer to Earth from some UFO like band. So you've got you got a couple like uh, very '90s dweebs okay. as characters in the background. You know, tape around the glasses. Totally, lot, totally. Like, you know the bozo noise that would happen in like a 90s show like yes yes it's not absolutely okay and they are they want help in figuring out when the aliens will arrive and mary Kate and ashley put their thinking caps on they realize it's a chinese satellite circling (laughs) how (laughs) circling the earth ever uh, because they see Chinese so a couple characters. Of dweebs see an unidentified, unidentifiable, unidentified flying object, and yeah. they're like, "We know who to call." It will the be Mary Trenchcoat the, twins. The Trenchcoat twins, of course. I've it's seen their signage around LA. Okay, so in in the the cruise <laughs> one, the only detective work we actually see of them like executing their craft is they, they do travel with a giant ink pad in tow for some light fingerprinting. Did they have any sort of, um, you know, skills that led them? Yeah. To, to get to the Chinese satellite. The, this, they, they, <laughs> one of them seems to know that the rate at which satellites travel the earth. So really that this one has a little bit more of like a, a little bit of a lesson learned, you know, mm. like mm, maybe you should know that every 93 minutes, a satellite, which actually to me seems fast. That seems like a fast orbiting satellite. I'm going to venture to guess that's incorrect. <laughs> All of a sudden saying it out loud and that seems That a satellite impossible. takes 93 minutes to orbit the Earth? That's impossible. <laughs> 
I am saying it and I feel unsure, but that's what they say. And it, it, they, well, they go to their friend, the captain of the USS Pearl Harbor boat. Okay. And they say to him, look, people think there's an aliens coming. We think it's a satellite. In the middle, they sing a song about like what they would do if they were in charge of the Navy. Okay, it, it, it's kind of along the lines of like no one tells the president what to do. <laughs> You're bringing up a classic, a classic <laughs> song. They love to, um, they love to role play figures of authority. <laughs> now, I don't want to jump over to that, but the Bill Clinton like look alike oh, in <laughs> so so triggering, so uh, so alarming. I'm surprised every copy hasn't been burned. He's like jumping on the bed. When he's like sexy saxophoning Ugh. in between them. It's so creepy. No, yeah, that, that, the, no, is it called No One Tells the President What to Do? No One Tells the President What to Do. Yeah. It's it was it like an eerie pre Lewinsky, like. <laughs> and he gives me like Saturday, like Saturday Night Live vibes because he's like, somehow in on the joke that he's not Bill Clinton right instead in this Mary Kate Nashley music video but then like in retrospect Bill Clinton's character at a little girl's sleepover it's just too much (laughs) and it all starts because they don't want to eat their broccoli is that how it starts I don't remember the cadence of my first video (laughs) it starts with it that song starts because they don't want to eat their broccoli and their off-screen mom tells them, like, <laughs> you oh. wouldn't have eaten it if you were president. Wow. I okay, because that I think that's the stand people forget about no one tells the president what to do because I think brother for sale was such an obvious standout. <laughs> but I don't I don't I I went back and watched some of it. I couldn't watch the whole 30-minute video, I have to be honest. That. Did you watch the very forced anthem or ode to their mom? Yes. Oh, it's... oh, it, it hurts. It hurts. Did it make your womb feel good? I I was just like, the mom is even like, you girls are bad at singing. No, it's the, <laughs> the, the president one, at some points, they're just, they're on the, the Oval Office desk, of course, and their legs are just flailing. Like there is not a dance step that they're following. Just like no. an offbeat jig. Not a one. Okay, so you bring up the moldy lunchbox thing. So uh, when you were watching the um, the cruise one, at the end, was there an inexplicable song about orcas? There, there was. But there's multiple. There are multiple, like... Uh, animal especially sea animal references in like throughout the adventures of mary kate nashley i need to look up if there was some if there's some conspiracy with dual star carnival cruises sea world like i in i'm surprised blackfish didn't highlight mkna's role in supporting the like intelligent marine mammal and captivity industrial complex because I was interested in SeaWorld because of them. Well, in the SeaWorld mystery, part of it is that their dad on said laptop, he like tells the dolphins via laptop to like give the mom a ride. I don't know if you remember this one, but in this, (laughs) the SeaWorld mystery, he's like, beep, boop, bop, like give mom a 
a dolphin ride and then the dolphins come out of the sea world pool and she like jumps on them and they ride around this is real. like a discovery cove like a discovery but like the, yes. but, like a but discovery the, but the mom is a tr- is like a trainer a trainer yeah which all makes no is- sense <laughs> so okay so do you think that these stories are so the parents are the same. The girls are the same. Are the stories interconnected? Like, do you think there's something about that SeaWorld laptop that translated to the appeal to Flippy the mime <laughs> in the mystery cruise? That's that's a point I didn't think about. And maybe that's the through line. Like, maybe Flippy once worked at Discovery Cove. Maybe he was we're wrong. the ones solving any crime by dinner he time by wrong. piecing together this filmography. Because now I'm wondering if they're supposed to be uh, linear. Well, well, you've got the Navy, you've got you've got SeaWorld, and you've got a cruise. There's a lot of water happening. There are the adventures. Then there's also one at like a ranch, though, which is a, another class. I okay. So the we have the case of Thorn Mansion, where they go to Transylvania, obviously. Right. The case of the Logical Ranch. Um. The case of SeaWorld Adventure Mystery Cruise Funhouse Mystery, which I saw on YouTube, but I so that gave me Are You Afraid of the Dark Creepy Funhouse vibes that I wasn't ready for. Um, they break into Santa's computer and the Christmas caper. Oh, you at this is just this is so 90s. The case of the US Space Camp mission. Oh. <laughs> they have um a shuttle, a space shuttle has been grounded due to a mysterious tapping sound coming from its outer surface. Unless the girls can figure out what's going on, this space shuttle will not be able to lift off. Like, what a tall order. <laughs> and before dinner time? They before dinner they time. Have, they have a tight six hours to solve <laughs> And then they they go to Hawaii to the case of Hotel Who Done It. They meet a hotel manager who's been dealing with a string of recent disappearances around the hotel. Word on the street is that's where Mike White got his... Inspiration for White Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> the case of the volcano mystery. They receive a call from some miners of marshmallows that a snowball throwing monster has been terrorizing them. They find out the snow is really ash and that the monster is a geologist warning them that an active volcano is not a safe place to work. What? And then the series finale, to your point about quality, is the case of the United States Navy adventure in 1997. I mean, you want to watch wow. it now, don't you? Yeah. Go ahead for ride. Wow. I mean, I like, I, I am DB'd to see like what the writers of these are up to now. Not much. Not Good. much. <laughs> Good. Do you, uh, you know, okay, so when I started like thinking about this, it I also made me realize, so I talked to my brother, that our first gateway was the Double Double Toil and Trouble one mm-hmm. film that they had. Yep, yep. And the... That was nominated for an Oscar for its music. What? Yeah. Wait, was that a musical? It it, it also has music. Yeah. I do they not remember. Lot, they did a lot of, because they sing that, like that song that's all, it's like, you know, like the double, double toil and trouble song. Did, okay. Because they have like, so, they're, the so plot they're, like, of that different. movie is also bonkers. So there's, Okay, outs after like the detective series in our first video, but before direct to VHS more mature movies, there's a cluster of direct to TV movies 
which were Double Double Toil and Trouble, How the West Was Fun, and To Grandmother's House We Go. Yes. And those and and those I think we forget about too. Um, and I those are ones I maybe have not rewatched since like the early two thousands. Now that I think about it, I want. When do the party videos fit into this timeline? Are they there? I think they're after mysteries. I think they're after mysteries and even oh. after double double toil. I think I think we are getting into the two of a kind phase okay. where we're more like preteens wanting to gossip and like have zigzag parts. Yes, some of the party ones, they have like the hair clip. There's more hair clip and less like little girl yes. bang. If you know, there's right. less of those. Yes, we go from bangs to zigzag parts and flipped out hair with clips. <laughs> and but, but but before we get to loose waves, we do have a time period where we only curl the top, our roots, and then we li- leave the rest straight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somebody could do a deep dive on the hairstyle journeys of oh, yeah. Mary Kate Ashley. It's very swifty and they they change their hair so you can look at it and know exactly what era they were in. Except there's uh, an era when they start wearing different hair. When they're in that what's the show when they wear the sock sleeve? Sock sleeves. Like the Are they older? Levine? They're older. Oh, so little time. So little, okay. And that one, don't they have different colored hair? Like one of them is more of a punk. No, you're right. Okay. So little, actually, so that was their last project. And that's when one person had like slightly curled roots and straight hair. I think Mary and Ashley always had a side part, whereas Mary Kate went just like straight. I feel like that was the first time that they didn't have the exact same hair in a TV show or like one of the, I guess the winning London, that. That whole group, I feel like they're usually supposed to be opposite characters. Like one's dorky and one's outgoing. But right. in all of these films that we're talking, these amazing adventures, they are exact. They're the same person. That's a really astute observation because they really do fall into their tropes in the later films. Yeah. One person's a tomboy. One's a girly yes. girl. Like oh, that sort of We bullshit. forgot about It Takes Two. One of the best, if you ask me, Mary Kane, actually. Yeah, it's literally the parent trap. <laughs> it's like the same plot. They're just not related. <laughs> just, it is. You're you're right. It also has the most the most amazing food fight I've ever seen in my life, and the worst depiction of foster care. The really terrible, really scarred me. Terrible depiction of foster care. Terrible <laughs> depiction of um, stepmoms with Clarice oh. Kensington. So many iconic quotable things. This tastes like a balloon. A, cur- a very warm, endearing Kirstie Alley. I mean, and she's like, she works for the camp. Is that what her role is in that? She No, she's like the heads up the orphanage. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. And they play like stickball. And it's yeah. a very endearing. Can't eat, can't sleep, reach for the stars over the fence, World Series kind of stuff. And then the in the opening scene is her getting um like recruited by the Buckuses who collect kids. Oh, and they're like out a- in Staten Island or something. Yes. That truly made me scared of Staten Island, anybody named Buckkiss, and, and the foster care system, which I now have a big respect for. But at the time, total, I, yeah, total terrifying. It's like they collected kids to work in a scrapyard. Yes. It was, <laughs> it was so scary. It was so scary. And then, like, I, it, when I think about how much that movie impacted my life, like, 
somebody I there, somebody made a reference to sw- sloppy joes the other day and in my head I was like big gooey messy burger like <laughs> I'm like how much did I watch that movie it, I it, watched and, and at what point so I guess that's an interesting question of like that must have been after double double how the west was fun they're a little older but not doing their full dual star direct yet that's where I don't I want the like I kind of want the timeline because also that movie it's a little bit more I don't know how to say it right. Almost like more family friendly, but like hijinksy could have been in a movie theater. Maybe it was where all the other ones go down the other pipeline of just like give this to teen girls at a sleeper bar, sleep, sleepover. Right. Why didn't they do any other theater films until New York Minute, which did was flop? It, was Billboard Dad not? Was it in theater? No, no. no just New York they, Minute. I'm pretty sure New they were York all direct to VHS besides. It was a huge disappointment. That that kind of marked the end. That was when we had so little time left with them. We only had one season of so little time and we got that movie and it was just, it, but that's the thing is it's almost like the cheesy movies were made to be consumed in a playroom with a popcorn bucket with managed expectations. And they, they weren't going to perform on the big screen. Like I think holiday in the sun is a near perfect film. I don't know if I would have felt that way in theater. No. <laughs> I agree. But I rechecked that out from Family Video like multiple times. That movie is aspiration wing to wing. The outfits, the resort, the hotties, the the antiquity scandal. Well, I think about it with you when you talk about like hotties, because all of those movies like that Passport to Paris and all those ones, it made it like attainable. You could sit at home and you could have your braces and that hottie. If you were charming enough, like at one point she's got like toilet paper on her shoe. It's hilarious. You, just, <laughs> he's British and he's charmed. You know, like that. It all felt real. It all felt possible. They always found boyfriends, both of them, oh, that were their age, oh. and their parents uh, let them underage go off on like Vespas with townies. And um, but yeah, I think that the it's. Interesting to think of the de- early ones, like the detective ones, because what a numbers game of cranking out as many short things as possible to get people to buy. Like, did your parents give you the $17 for Mary Kate and Ashley's Fun Club by Checker Money Order? I, I think we I think I was part of it. Yes. I mean, you got the fun zine. Yes. I, that was the, the lap book. of luxury. I had I had the books of the mysteries like they eventually like republish the plot as like as books as books i don't even know how to word it right it has the same as like a keyhole logo with their faces coming through the yes if you know and the plot was the exact same exact same (laughs) unbelievable these merch queens (laughs) but it's it's funny because even though i was like I don't know, like eight when they came out. My brother would have been like 13. He watched the shit out of them with me. Like he was like, we loved the super scooper, super trooper scoopers or whatever they called themselves. Like Super we, duper snoopers? Snoopers. Super duper snoopers. That's what we called ourselves. Like, Give us a mystery. Um, okay, here, this makes sense. The adventure, okay. They have TV shows filmed films direct to video films and video games and their direct to video adventures of mary kate and ashley were 94 to 97 
your invited was 95 to 2000. So there is a small overlap. But it goes pretty far to 2000. Yeah. So that, which would have put them at like, what, probably age 13, 14. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so they do, what I can't find is, Oh my God, to Grandmother's House We Go is 1992. They were very young. They were very And then young. Double Double What's 93. Double Double? How the, how, double Double's 93. How the West Was Fun is 94. And then we have a gap where Billboard Dad is 98. I assume it takes two happens somewhere in between there, which is weirdly not listed on this <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, but I guess those weren't dual star productions. It Takes Two was like a studio film. Okay, it says 1995, their their feature yeah. film debut, It Takes Two. Steve Gutenberg, what a guy. What a guy. Callaway Cellulars. <laughs> Wonder how it would be doing now. Um, I mean, did you, like, when when you read more about their trajectory and how that Robert guy, he, like, set them up with this ironclad IP where they got, like, every dime of what, I mean, it's pretty impressive. He set them up for life in a big way. Then they didn't get exploited like Disney kids. No. Until like, I mean, I guess they got exploited in their, I, I get stuck on like the Lance Armstrong of it all. Oh, did Mary Kate date him? Yeah. That, so it's funny. I don't like, I don't think I have a, much of a repertoire of their activities post 2005, other than like the weirdness with Heath Ledger. I know Ashley dated Justin Bartha. And then w- there's one of them is with the really old French guy. Oh, oh, right. Um, what's his name? Sarkozy. Yes. Yes. They're they're not together anymore. And, but Ashley, but, I think, just got married like this year. I don't even I don't even know that. Now I only care about Elizabeth Olsen. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I in the only time I've really my interest in MKA resuscitated was when she was spotted hiking in the woods with an open cocktail and a machete and a backwards cap. That was a crazy photo. <laughs> that I think that was during COVID or something. Um, this was like such a wow. This was like such an action-packed this was 40 minutes of this was a top thrill dragster. <laughs> this was a top thrill dragster of a mini sode. And I'm I'm honestly thrilled. Thank you for the brilliant topics, your time. And for the entertainment that will carry me through the night of Mary Kate and Ashley and Coaster Fanfare. Please at least watch the opening dance or song of the Navy video. I think I'm going to post the moldy sandwich song without context yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> or the president. Or, or yeah. the president. <laughs> it, it, it takes people back. I just, it's just not a thing I always think to revisit, but I kind of even want to watch our first video again. I mean, it's all so good. It immediately takes you back. That theme song about the Hope Diamond and the best pizza. Just (laughs) as if those are comparable mysteries to solve. It's just. (laughs) It's that's a little Carmen San Diego-y, you know? Yes. Wow. Detective, like gumshoe things were just so big in the 90s. (laughs) No wonder we all like true crime. Damn. My gosh, Tracy, you're a delight. I'll let you know when this comes out. This was so fun. If you ever think of anything else you want to talk about, please reach out. I will. (laughs) I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Of course. And if the best ever want to organize a trip to Cedar Point, you know who to contact. Absolutely. Would be amazing. All right. I will get us. Hope you have a good night. Thanks, Kate. (laughs) Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.
Thanks to Tracy. And before we get into the next topic of Mormon missions, speaking of summer glamour, like the case of the mystery cruise, support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. Perfect timing, honestly, because summer is here and my God did my wardrobe need a refresh. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through. Their summer staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Very minimalist, very effortless, but refined. They have flowy dresses, lightweight cotton cardigans, and elevated versions of everyday basics. And not to mention the most beautiful home essentials, too. A lot of you probably live in Chicago like me. They have this store in Armitage that's like stunning. I just like to go there and feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. <laughs> I mean, really, their pieces work in any season, but their dresses are so good. I feel like in the fall and winter, I focus on their cocoon sweater, cocoon cardigan, which is my summer AC staple. But their cove dress, which I might add is bump friendly, and their road dress for summer occasions are like perfect. And they have this new day dress that could be like everyday uniform material. I love this brand. They believe in the art of simplicity. And I can literally put on one of their dresses, a sweater and some slides and feel like put together and comfortable and like I'm in something timeless and I just I like the wardrobe basics that never go out of style. And all I ever wanted was to be California cool. And this brand just embodies that. So if you want to find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com, our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code be there on five at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code be there in five. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hi, Kate. Hi, Maddie. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. Well, you had to know that your topic was going to <laughs> intrigue me. So this, I was hoping. <laughs> so this is a concept I'm kind of piloting where, I don't know, like I can interview and platform the Caroline Calloways of the world, but also you guys, there's so many interesting things about people that listen to the podcast and like worlds that you can open up that I think it would be really interesting to share. And I just kind of wanted to do some interviews leading up, especially to Matt leave, where if people are willing to share their worlds with other listeners, I think it could be a really fun community thing. Yeah, totally. I love that idea. And I'm just thrilled to find a community of people who find Mormon missions maybe interesting. I'm obsessed. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm really interested, too. And I realize it's kind of a pocket I've never dove into and I don't know many people that have been a part of it because and I want you to explain this to me later but like it's not not all women go on missions as far as I understand it right so I guess yeah. to backtrack so yeah tell us tell us your story you lived in Utah you were a Mormon and you went on a mission yeah that's it um yep born and raised Mormon lived in Washington went to Utah for college I went on a Mormon mission to Bolivia um in 2015 to 2016, I was out for one year um, as to opposed to the normal 18 months. Went home after that, <laughs> left the church about a year and a half after. Okay. So in, in the world of Mormonism, the mission is kind of, it's almost to me what like the a gap year is in the UK, like a rite of passage in between high school and college where, you know, for a lot of people, you go out and travel or learn something about the world or get a job. But in this case, it's used to go essentially evangelize to people in a place that you're mat where you're not paid, that you have to pay to go. And aren't you matched with a certain like location that's beyond your control? Yes, totally correct. 
Yes. In hindsight, I look back at those really valuable years and feel some anger that it was taken, you know, Mm -hmm. going on a mission. It isn't required, but um, they lowered like the age that you could go a few years ago. And then a huge wave of people went out. Um, Just a little bit of social contagion. And yeah, you have no say in where you go. You could technically back out once you get what's called your mission call. But, you know, no one does that. and yes, is it random? Out. Oh, so that's a good question. They say that they pray oh, God about it. it. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that the only other woman in my extended family who went on a mission went to Bolivia, the same mission, Coach Bamba. So I don't think that it's random. I also have been noticing a pattern that it seems like wealthier families' children go to go to more foreign missions. Whereas Mm. LDS families who aren't as affluent, their children seem to get sent to other states. Um, I don't have, you know, official data on that, but it's certainly a trend that I've noticed. So you, okay. So what I thought young men had to do it. Is that not true? It is true. So for young men, it's a commandment. When And for young women, it's just totally optional. However, I will say culturally, it's been changing lately um, that while it's a commandment, it is your choice as a young man. So there's like less stigma if you don't go nowadays as a man, but it is still technically a commandment. Yes. And it makes you kind of revered and respected in your community. Does it make you a more eligible future groom? Isn't there something culturally about like, You get in a really serious relationship and then your betrothed goes off to a mission. Uh, Yes. So for sure, there's a cultural aspect in Mormonism where everyone wants to marry a return missionary. Um, (laughs) It's definitely like an RM, as they say, (laughs) like we would make these little lists in um, young women's or our youth group where we made lists of like, what do you want in your future spouse? And it was like, a worthy priesthood holder, a returned missionary, loves the scriptures, like nothing in there was like wow. great sense of humor, you know. So right. there's definitely some um, status tied to being a returned missionary. So, and if I understand correctly, not only, this is crazy to me, not only are you basically working for the church for free, you have to pay your way to get there. And if, to your point about affluence, if you don't, like... If you get matched in a market that's expensive to get to and you aren't paid to support yourself, how crazy does it of the church to call this a commandment when there's a high barrier to entry to even afford it? Yes, and there is criticism of that. It is interesting, though. They It used to be that everyone paid uh, just the rate of wherever they went. So it varied hugely between missions. Obviously, if you went to Europe, it was a lot more expensive than if you went to Latin America or but now everyone pays a fat everyone pays a flat rate of $500 per month no matter where you go. <laughs> You're paying <laughs> to work like it's so crazy. <laughs> it is crazy making. I mean do you still like, have to tithe? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I will <sighs> say um if you can't afford that and if your family can't afford that usually the congregations will chip in and help. Um and I know that missionaries from other countries because that is a growing number 
there are many missionaries who come from different countries around the world. And I know that the church, the Mormon church, does subsidize their missions for sure. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. in their best interest to do so because right. the more missionaries you send out, hopefully the more tithe payers you baptize. So you're paying to go get the church more tithe payers, right? You know. So you were basically, you know, selling unique lashes, being like, join my team. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and I promise if you do, I mean, you're basically going to be safe Blessings forever. Blessings abound. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you decide to go on a mission. You get matched in Bolivia. How do you feel about that? I felt sick because I personally never wanted the adventure. I know so, like lots of... <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> I wouldn't either. I was like, send me to Canada. Like, I'll go to Nebraska. Tallahassee, whatever. Yeah. Like, everyone's soul is worth the same, right? I don't need to go to a different country, um, you know, in Mormon thinking. Yeah, I was really nervous about it. And I found a book from a returned missionary who served in Bolivia who was very open about, he didn't. Yeah, how he wrote about it was very open, and I learned, I connected with him later, and he's totally ex-Mormon, too. Mm. Um, but the the book certainly was not reassuring. <laughs> Interesting. So, and how do you prepare for the mission? You mentioned something about the culture of um, the MTC culture and traditions, the Missionary Training Center. What was that like? Oh, my God. Hearing your episodes about um, sororities... Yeah, it really made me realize just how abnormal the MTC is because ima like imagine like the hype and excitement of like freshman orientation, but for preaching the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like you're all there together, you're all embarking on this adventure, and like they're hyping you up, and it's for like uh, two weeks if you're going to the states, six weeks if you're going abroad. And it's like this, it is just a crazy level of excitement. Like, and you're learning a language frequently and like, you just have a lot fewer inhibitions usually because you're with new people. No one knows you. Mm. Um, you're all going to this, you know, you're in like a little pod. They're all going to the same place. You think you're going to be best friends forever because... You've all been called by God to go to the same place. Um, so it's also like you're going to girls camp or summer camp and making best friends um, mm. while learning a language and just People being super People also go stoked. to like troll for hotties. I think that'd be if you were trying to get married at 18, that's where I'd go. Oh, my God, for sure. It's like, how far can you go while flirting and still have plausible deniability? Like, <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> Because, yeah, there's sisters and elders together. That's what they're called, like, um, men and women missionaries. And, yeah. Oh, for sure, there's flirting. And you get their, you get their Facebook written down for when you get back. Uh, ah. Things like that. What has always interested me about Mormons is that my experience with evangelical Christians is that they were just hypocritical or straight-up liars. Like, if you were preaching about sexual morality and setting boundaries with your girlfriend on stage, you were probably doing it in a sedan afterward. Mormons actually seem to uphold their boundaries in ways that I have not found other denominations 
do. So, like, do you think people hooked up and went wild at that camp or just flirted? Oh, no, not at all. Definitely just (laughs) flirted. There's also way too much control and oversight to get away with that. Um, Oh. And you're always with your assigned companion uh, within within sight and sound of your assigned companions. So, except for if you're in the bathroom. So, you're not getting away with anything when you're being babysat by your peer. (laughs) Wow. The mission of the Mormon church and of the reality television producer. The only place you're alone is the bathroom. (laughs) If they could get in there, man, I'm sure people would like to watch that show. (laughs) So you said companionship inventory culture. Is that what you mean? So by design, you are paired with somebody under the premise of if you're never alone, you can never stumble. Definitely that. Uh, companionship inventory also is a specific tool that you're taught and it's to sit down with your companion like I want to say once a week and do inventory where you check in with each other of like how are things going in our relationship Um, you know you're taught to do like a sandwich start with the good let them know what's frustrating however it's just interesting because while you maybe give people in your life or relationships feedback, it's not someone who you're around literally 24-7 because, of course, <laughs> you're going to get on each other's nerves. So yeah. then, you, then you have inventory and it's like, well, what's been bothering you? Well, you brush your teeth at the kitchen sink. <laughs> you know, like just like dumb things that really add up when you're with someone 24 seven and just but like also, why are you with them 20 so literally 20 but why um definitely for like spiritual safety but also physical safety and all of this sounds so oh. hilarious to me now but in the mormon lens like you don't want to be you know men in particular they say like you don't want to be alone you don't want to be tempted um You don't, but also for physical safety, because apparently that's going to be enough to keep you from being assaulted, you know, in the streets of Bolivia, if you're with a companion. Um, Well, that's my other question. Are they, so they knowingly will send people to dangerous places who don't know anything about the language, the culture. Oh yeah. I, you have the invincibility (laughs) of God on your side. Oh yeah. Of course I want to be, you know, keep it light and breezy as the, you know, conditioned Mormon woman that I was. But uh, on my Mormon mission, I was sexually assaulted at knife point and oh went home God. right after that. Uh, that was I'm in 2016. So sorry. It was truly terrible. Thank you. It, w- it was in 2016. I'm doing great now. He actually was apprehended in t- December of 2022 for domestic violence and then was sentenced this March in 2023 to eight years in prison, which is this amazing is a- that he was... A person from the States? Oh, sorry. This is a Bolivian man who assaulted okay. us. Sorry, I should not totally go off the rails there. But that is definitely part of my Mormon mission. And what was a huge catalyst for me leaving the church, because I was like, WTF, you guys are sending missionaries to these countries and basically promising them that they'll be protected by God. And if they're obedient, that they'll be protected by God. Which is obviously not the case. And I've met no. many other people who were, you know, held up at knife point, held up at gunpoint, 
robbed, raped, sexually Ugh. assaulted. Um, it's certainly not abnormal. And it also serves them um, this really troubling uh, cause effect mentality where a victim might assume the things that happen to them completely beyond their control are a function of some behavior, uh, sin, stumbling block or thing that they did. And that's what's frustrating, too, is like how those things can probably easily go unreported if you are afraid you were like somewhere you shouldn't be doing something. You, sh- you know what I mean? Like, I think that's mm-hmm. the scary part about um, religious circles, too, is how victim blaming is so rampant. So did you feel so you reported it to the authorities and to back to the mm-hmm. church and were they um, supportive or helpful? Um, ooh, we, yeah, we immediately went to the police and the hospital, um, uh, and did, I requested to go home. The response from, oh my gosh, there's, just as a little more context, there's a mission president who's a man and the mission president's wife, which is truly offensive that she has no title besides mission president's wife. But, um, uh, I let them know that I wanted to go home. And she, the mission president's wife, was super supportive and understanding and, you know, thankful for her because she was such a sweetheart. But, yeah, he said to me, I wish you wouldn't just straight up because there's like this culture of so in missions, there's kind of a culture of bragging about the dangerous things that you'd experienced Mm. and Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, we were held up at gunpoint. But we knew angels were around us. All of a sudden, like this motorcyclist came by. You know what I mean? There's this huge culture of celebrating that and then sticking it out no matter what. And it's almost like you go home with these like badges of honor and these crazy stories to tell. Um, But I realized like these aren't these are not good stories. These are terrible. (laughs) So just an interesting part. It's it's horrifying to me. I mean, aren't parents seeing through this like you're not equipping people to go to these places, especially as a young woman, like where I don't know, I'm like horrified by the safety piece there. And it's just so naive and ignorant and fundamentally incorrect to use supernatural means of protection when you need to be physically equipped to be safe. Like were your parents Mm -hmm. nervous? You know, they were not beforehand because they also had this belief that, you know, Jesus has the wheel. Um, you He picked where you went. Um, he'd be with you. You have your special protective underwear on. Uh, so they wow. were not really concerned. Um, however, afterwards, they were like telling my younger siblings, like, yeah, you do not have to go on a mission. This is crazy. So it woke them up a little bit. So you did go home after that incident. Oh, yeah. And I was thrilled to have a reason to go home. Missions are truly miserable. Uh, and yeah, what's your day to day like? Oh my. Okay, so I'm not great at keeping easy breezy about missions because it makes me so don't. bad. You don't need but, to. Okay, so you get up at 6:30 every single day, and you're in bed at 10:30. It's a very rigid schedule, and it's tied to obedience, right? Like you're told perfect obedience brings miracles. So you really think that adhering to this rigid schedule. Um, is integral to your success as a missionary and finding converts. So up at 6.30, exercise till 7, 
you have seven to eight to like get ready, eight to nine personal scripture study, nine to 10 companionship scripture study, 10 to 11 language study, 11 to one go out and work, proselyte, one to two lunch, two to nine go out and work and proselyte, come home at nine. And you have to plan with your companion for the next day, count your numbers, report your numbers, and then squeeze in dinner, uh, journaling, bedtime routine, and in bed by 1030. That's every day, even weekends, or maybe not the Sabbath? Uh, The exception is on Sundays, you go to church. But other than that, 100% the same schedule. And Mondays is your preparation day, so you have eight hours to grocery shop, wash your clothes, which was by hand. Uh, you take a bus into the city to get groceries, um, email your family, maybe squeeze in a little bit of downtime. And then at 6 p.m. on preparation day, you're back to work. Oh, my God. That rigid of a schedule is my personal nightmare. Also, is that level of control. My God. Thankfully, most of us can uh, set our own rituals. And one thing that I appreciate about the company Ritual, who makes the multivitamin I've taken for years and the prenatal vitamin that I trust is that they believe that women belong in scientific research. Can you imagine? They're in fact essential to scientific research and Ritual knows this because they conducted a university led clinical trial for their essential for women, 18 plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. And the results were that it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. This multivitamin is made with high quality and traceable key nutrients, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day with their unique beadlet and oil capsule with a delayed release design to make it gentle on an empty stomach, which is huge for vitamins. And essential for women 18 plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the labels within the formula. And it has this minty essence and the prenatal has like a citrus one. That keeps things fresh and makes taking your multis every day actually enjoyable. And I cannot describe what a difference it's made to not to be able to take it on an empty stomach and to have like an aftertaste that's not disgusting. And I just I love this company. I love that the woman who created it couldn't find a prenatal with, you know, a transparent supply chain. She was like, what am I putting in my, in my body? So she created one and you can see all of their ingredients and all of their sources and everything on their website. And yeah, Ritual is all about hot data and stone cold facts. Get to know your nutrients on a deeper level with 20% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 plus to your subscription today. Do you have to exercise from like 630 to 7 or whatever? I know. Okay. I have never been a huge morning person. I swear that was like one of the first cracks in my faith. I was like, this is so stupid. I hate getting up at 630 to exercise. But yes, it is a requirement and expectation. Oh my God, get this. You have like check-ins with the mission president interviews, like worthiness interviews every like, I want to say like 12 weeks. And mine had like a questionnaire of like your obedience and like zero to 10, how obedient are you being in each area? And one of them so was creepy. Like, you had to report on your exercise habits. And like they'll instead of being like, How are you, sister? Like, tell me how How's you're your doing. Heart? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you haven't been exercising? Well, the best missionaries exercise. So you really need to step it up. Yeah. Very much very controlled. It sounds miserable. I was 
so miserable. I I think I was like clinically depressed out there. Like I cried are, every day. Are people incentive? So is complaining discouraged to the point where people maybe aren't being realistic about what the day to day is like? So it stays kind of romanticized as this altruistic thing. And obviously, once you've done it and paid your dues, you feel so good about it and hold a status. It's not like you're going to shit on it. Oh, exactly. And in fact, we have this little white handbook. It's like two inches by two inches. It can fit in like the front pocket of a man's dress shirt that has a bunch of rules. And one of them is that when you email your family, because you could email your family once a week um, to be positive in those emails and to not share (laughs) the negatives. I kid you not. And you're supposed to email like your president once a week, too. And I for sure let him know I was struggling and was responded to with like, I, I do not know what your problem is. So they like just they just discourage you from complaints. And and if you complain, you're not a good missionary. You're not going to get leadership positions. You're going to go to the crappy areas. You know, like there's a lot of punishment for complaining. And then it's like kind of all for nothing. It's like you're already there. You already did all this stuff. And for there to be like no rewards. So many. It's like the sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. You spend most. Okay. So you spend majority of your time, like whatever, 11 to one and then two to nine. Um, you're, are you literally going door to door? Yeah. Um, they've recognized over time that that isn't as effective. So they encourage you to do things like talk with the congregation members and get them to bring their friends, you know, very MLM-y. Um, but, and you make appointments, like follow-up appointments. You push really hard with people to make follow-up appointments. So you do have like a few appointments scheduled every day. Hopefully there'll be member present lessons, but you do end up talking to people on the streets, on the buses. Appointments for door-to-door. what though? Oh my God. <laughs> so we have, as missionaries, there were six lessons. And to be baptized, to baptize someone, they have to take the six lessons and go to church like three times. So like lesson number one was like the restoration of the gospel. Lesson number two was like the atonement of Jesus Christ, things like that. So so you're finding randoms who accept mm-hmm. your pitch for why mormonism is the true church it's slightly different from the christian faith you're still followers from jesus you're not totally out there and like you you bait people to then start this six-step process where you have to have appointments where your key performance indicator as a missionary is you want them ultimately baptized or else it's it doesn't count correct we do also count we oh my gosh i'm saying do we did i do not do this crap anymore <laughs> but we also counted up numbers of lessons so like every day you had a goal of like 10 lessons or something um so lessons were also counted in your numbers you also counted invitations for baptism um so someone didn't even have to say yes you know but you asked three people that day if they wanted to be follow the example of jesus christ and be baptized by someone who holds the power and authority of the melchizedek priesthood (laughs) are you like trying to desperately trying to fill a quota to the point where like you're so desperate to report back you're maybe acting outside of your ordinary social comforts to be pushy oh my god yes so also i want to mention there's a lot of lying that goes on i never lied about my numbers but my husband also went on a mission and he's like oh my god we lied we lied left and right because there's public shaming 
you know, if you don't have hit your numbers, but also, oh my God, yes. So for a lesson to count, you had to have a prayer. So we'd like stop some random person on the street, give them a little spiel, and then be like, can we pray with you? And like in broad daylight <laughs> yeah, cringing, on a street cringing. corner, yeah. pray with them. And then it counted as a lesson, which, yeah, it always made me sick. And that's why I was also miserable because, you know, I was feeling guilty. Like I should talk to this person. Their salvation's at stake. But when you do talk to them, you're so uncomfortable. They're so uncomfortable that you feel sick. You're never alone. It's harder to lie about it unless you happen to be with somebody who you're like, hey, help me. I'll help you. But I gather Mormon culture is snitch central. Yes, there for sure were were some funner missionaries who were a little more low key. I think that that happened more often with elders, with the male missionaries, Uh, just from the stories from my husband, like they had a lot more fun than the sisters did. Let me tell (laughs) you, you know, like they were out swimming and like just lying about it. And I'm like, no one knows where you are. People only know what you tell them. But you're so scared to being obedient. Otherwise, there are like supernatural consequences, which if that's Mm -hmm. how you're told the world works, that's of course you're going to believe it. Yeah, exactly. So I look back on myself and I'm like, oh, little baby, of course you did what you did. But yeah, I look back and I was like, I should have been sleeping in. I should have been emailing my family whenever the hell I wanted, you know, but. Do they tell you to target certain types of people, like women, children, people in certain scenarios? They do. They tell you one thing. Well, this is slightly different, but they do teach you some strategies for like breaking the ice. You know, you're walking past someone who's working in their yard. You comment on their bushes, how cute they look, and you ask them a gardening question. But beyond that, they also definitely teach you to look for people who are humble in their words and ready for the gospel, which is frequently someone who experienced a recent death, a recent loss, or someone who, you know, is in a life transition. Like my convert, I had three people who joined the church and were baptized by men, but so not baptized by me, but they were my converts. One had just been in a horrific car accident and her baby died in this car accident she had been in a coma and woke up from her coma her baby had died and then she met the missionaries my other convert like his brother had been killed by a gang three years prior and then my other convert like had just married a mormon woman so obviously was kind of vulnerable there horrible right like truly but yes they definitely have you look for vulnerable people okay so you meet me on a street corner What's your opening line? Oh, my God. It's been a few years. Um, Probably start with a compliment of sorts. Oh, my God. <laughs> cute necklace. Where'd you find it? Are there? Oh, my God. Are there any boutiques around here? And then straight in. Like, well, so nice to meet you. Um, We are missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we have a special a special message that we love to share with people and their families. Um, do you have a minute for us to share this message with you? How often do people say yes? Oh, Bolivians were so polite. Uh, way more often than not, people said yes. 
Uh, I think that's very different in other countries. Like I had a friend in Germany who said like they'd take his Book of Mormon from him and like throw it at him, you know? Yeah. But in Bolivia, people mostly said yes. Probably, I don't know, probably 60% of the time. So more times than not. So how long is this? Like, how do you uh, close the sale to get them to the next session? Um, You totally ask for their phone number. And if you can meet with them again, um, frequently you are, you know, out by near their home. So you'll ask for their phone number, their address. And when can we visit you again? And then is that next visit? That's what you're counting as the first lesson. And you'll go in for the first lesson. Well, if you pray with them on the street, that does count as a lesson Mm. for your numbers but not one of the six lessons that they have to do before they can get baptized. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Okay. So when you pray for them, like, what are you praying for? Like, isn't it kind of rude to be like, pray for this person's soul when you like just met? So Mormon prayers are definitely a little different than like evangelical prayers. Um, Mormons always say, Mormons first off, fold their arms and bow their head. Kind of funny. (laughs) Instead of like, Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Different hand gestures, but they always say, our dear father in heaven. There's lots of cliches in Mormon prayers. Like, we thank thee for this day. We thank thee for the sunshine. We're so thankful that we met Ermilda today. Um, please bless her as she goes about her school today. That she'll feel thy spirit. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We would keep it, like, pretty simple. Hmm. It's so, so cringy, though. Like, <laughs> I just can't even believe you got far enough. But like, well, I think about somebody like my sister who would be like, just would want to be friendly. Mm-hmm. And she'd like let you do your whole spiel and it would take 20 minutes out of her day. Whereas I'm like a little bit more guarded. Um, but also like, I don't know. In some places, it might really scare people, especially women, to have like two American men like approach them in the street and demand they talk. like. The whole yes. thing is just invasive. It is. I suspect it was pretty off-putting to a lot of people. Uh, there were folks who'd be like, no, I, I don't have time or not interested. Um, yeah. I know I feel for them because now I hate it when even like the Spectrum Internet guys knock on my door trying to sell something, you know, or had the Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. knock on my door. And it like puts it in perspective how uncomfortable I made other people. But it's it's kind of like you're 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 incentivized to push your instincts down. Like if you're uncomfortable doing it, it's like, well, this is what's good and this is what's right and I'll be rewarded. And mm-hmm. I think that element of control is really interesting. So like you're, you know, controlling your thoughts by having everything have this divine cause and effect, having full control over your time by giving you it's almost like you have no time to even think about what you're doing to like calibrate. Is this right? Is this right or wrong? Or like to put critical thinking to it, it kind of by design just makes you do fulfill what you're supposed to do without really putting much thought behind it. Right. Cause you're oh, so busy. You're so insightful. Truly that is part of it. Um, and I've learned since that one aspect of cults is that mm-hmm. they do keep you so busy. Mentally drained. You're exhausted. Yeah. And I will say, I look back, well, I was, ex- I mean, I lost like 50 pounds when I was a missionary. Um, 
I was completely exhausted. I cried so much as a missionary. And now I sleep like, I love like nine hours of sleep a day. So even with eight hours, I was just truly exhausted from all, you know, also walking out in the heat all day, every day. Um, But now I look back at my journals. I, I mean, I can hardly bring myself to read them. But when I occasionally crack it open or, you know, I did last night in like preparation for this Mm -hmm. and I would read things like I would say I'm just I'm so sad every day I'm not enjoying this um things like that but then in the same page I would also say I need to learn how to rely on grace more and the atonement um this is humbling me I know that this is preparing me for a future of service like blah 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 so Mm -hmm. you're really you they they really train you on what to even say to yourself to keep yourself going i had that same experience going back through journals but and it was kind of in a different way that i think this can happen in other face or just even to women in general like every negative thought i had or unhappy feeling or concern was like self-regulated by an insistence for gratitude. Like I cannot admit that I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm having a hard time because that just means I'm ungrateful for what I have as if you cannot be grateful and having mental health issues at the same time. And it's a little hard to read because I was, I actively avoided like getting any help for myself, just thinking that if I leaned into any negativity, it meant I was a bad self-indulgent person. And okay, that's heartbreaking. But, but you know what? But I, it kind of like reminds me of what you're saying is like you're fighting yourself in your own confessional space, which just shows how controlled you're being because it's a private space and you're not even being honest. You're feeling bad oh. about what you're saying to yourself. Oh, truly. Uh, that is so interesting to hear that some of those same patterns uh, happen even outside of Mormonism, but it, you know, I would guess that it probably is quite amplified in Mormonism. They also do encourage you to, in your journal, remember that your future posterity, in their words, will be reading this. So you're also incentivized oh, it's not to, private. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're incentivized to focus on the lessons and all of that. Um, it is interesting to note that depression and anxiety are very, very high among Mormon women. Uh, Like the Mm -hmm. stats for Utah, like um, the percentage of women on like antidepressants is extremely high compared to the rest of the nation. Um, Mm. So it is interesting that even this focus on gratitude and all that, it doesn't work, you know? Uh, So yeah, let yourself be a full human. Uh, Even after the fact, sorry. Oh, no, please go ahead. Okay. One thing I've learned since coming home, you know, like in Bolivia, I washed my clothing by hand and it was very difficult and I told myself you know like when I get home I will never complain about laundry ever again of course I still do and it has been really (laughs) healing to recognize like you can recognize your privilege and how other people in the world do not have it as easy as like I do in the United States or whatever but and yeah and that doesn't that doesn't mean you can't have a bad day (laughs) or hate oh totally it is interesting when suffering's positioned as this necessary means to move forward. Like it kind of just sets you up for any time you're going through something tough. 
even if it's fixable, you almost kind of like glamorize the suffering. Yeah, in Mormonism, there's a word for that, and it's the refiner's fire. And mm-hmm. it's that. That's like, like a rural juror tongue twister. Mm-hmm. Re- yeah, that <laughs> God's putting fire. you like a piece of metal in this refiner's fire to get your impurities out of you. Um, and I think that some Mormon parents, I mean, if they went on missions, they know that they suffered and they look at their child and think, well, you know, great that they're going to suffer because it's the refiner's fire and they'll come back and be more have more of a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, which is, you know, one of the goals. I think what's interesting. So like, I think I didn't, until I was much older, like I really didn't understand, you know, like white saviorism and how much of a problem it is. A, a lot, a lot of mission work in any denomination is. Um, But I think that like, what's interesting about Mormon missions the the one I I didn't actually go on any international missions, but a lot of my friends did, and to their credit, they did a lot of humanitarian work. It's not, it seems don't Mormon missions like it's pretty much just for conversion, like to serve your own religion to get more tithe payers. Like you're not really doing a lot of community service, are you? Oh no, not at all. Like you do a crazy? little bit of service. You could actually uh- be helpful. Oh, I know. And then people have the audacity to put on their LinkedIn under volunteer service that they were serving for two years in Fiji or whatever. And I'm like, you are not serving. You know, I'm like, you were this in the downline really of a multi-billion dollar organization. So like self-serving, you weren't doing anything mm-hmm. humanitarian. Oh, yeah. No. And the the service that we did do for like an hour or two a week was like, helping the congregation members in their yard. I I will say one exception to that is that sometimes, like, if there's, like, a hurricane somewhere, they will then deploy the missionaries in some help afterwards. Like, they'll work alongside the Red Cross, and, like, I think they're called, like, Mormon Helping Hands or something. So if there is a disaster, uh, they will they will have the, the missionaries change their focus for a brief period of time after the disaster to help. However, I appreciate then they that. go right back to the proselyting. My mom, my mom's has has had very positive interactions with where she is with Mormon missionaries, and I think that they maybe did help with Hurricane Aid in North Carolina. <laughs> no way! So that, so that would make sense. Oh, and that's just keep in mind, like these are children; they're like eighteen and nineteen year old babies, sweethearts. Yeah, like, they don't know what they're doing. They, many of them are so. So sweet. Like, have you ever met an 18 year old Mormon girl? Like, oh my God, they're precious. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. They truly want the best for the people they're interacting with. They go home and pray on their knees for their investigators, for their converts, you know, like, so be sweet to them if you do interact with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I will say that's the difference. Like, I don't find, I've never had an interaction that feels um, aggressive or, like, it's kind of like if you turn it down, they move on. Like, I I feel like Mormons are nothing if not nice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've had pl- very pleasant interactions. Yeah. And of course, like there is nuance there. And as I've gotten older, I, I see the nuance of underneath the niceness. Sometimes there is a level of insidiousness. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. But surface but level is... interactions, I think they want to be seen as like nice, pure, lovely, attractive, like totally. 
and in a way all American family center. Yeah. And that's what they pitch too, you know? So do you kind of like, as you've gotten older, have you kind of thought through like, I think you mentioned your notes that you kind of see it now as uh, like modern day colonialism. Yes, because there is a lot of white saviorism wrapped up in it. Um, Some of the people who are interested to listen are definitely interested because you're a white American. Uh, The church and its doctrine is very American. It's like the all American religion, American exceptionalism, manifest destiny is baked into the Book of Mormon's plot and Mormon doctrine. So when you convince an indigenous person in Bolivia to believe in the Book of Mormon that teaches that Lamanites were indigenous people and that they have brown skin because they were wicked. Like oh, that, fuck. That's right. I forgot about that part. <laughs> like that is a, a really crazy level of, I don't know. It's beyond white saviorism. It is taking an American worldview and, and perhaps like an older American worldview, because I know that that, that idea and belief was popular in Joseph Smith's time. So it's taking this antiquated American worldview and teaching it as gospel. Um, and we for sure did not respect their religious beliefs, you know, Catholicism and indigenous beliefs, uh, you know, like the Pachamama, things like that. We, we made like, we made jokes about it. You know, we did not respect it. We for sure felt superior that we had all the answers and viewed their culture as inferior. It's so fascinating how you really are conditioned to believe that what you have is true and you don't even stop for a second to entertain that something can be true to someone else. Oh yeah. I, you know, this is embarrassing. However, I think it's important to share that when I went back to BYU afterwards, I took like a conversational Spanish class and I had, I gave a presentation on Bolivian culture and my teacher was a woman from Spain and she knocked me off a few points and she wrote that it was condescending towards Bolivian culture and it it stopped me in my tracks and I realized oh my god like I do feel condescendingly towards some aspects of Bolivian culture particularly like indigenous religious beliefs and it was fascinating to me to reflect and be and realize that a return missionary who is like because they tell you like that you're going to love these people and love this culture and and yet so many return missionaries come home and have like infantilizing views of the people that they served among. Mm-hmm. I should add one level of nuance because I know hmm, my progressive Mormon friends might listen to this. And I do recognize that. I don't that think your progressive Mormon friends listen to my podcast. <laughs> I know one who might. <laughs> You're podcast- out after Latter-day Paints. But... <laughs> There's a good chance, but in some ways it's a gateway drug. (laughs) You're so respectful, even when (laughs) criticizing. But um, I will say some missionaries do come home with a deep love for the countries that they lived in. Yeah, I could see that. And like my grandparents went on like an elderly service mission and like my grandfather's a lawyer and he helped like immigrants um, get citizenship and things like that. So while I 
for sure came away with like a superiority complex, which is horrible, but I was indoctrinated into it, you know, came by it honestly. Uh, there you are, are others you were, like who, traumatized while you were there. Yeah, that too, you know, but there are other people who maybe were, I don't know, more loving, more altruistic than myself. <laughs> so there are some, some missionaries who probably uh, don't have as much of a infantilizing view of, of the countries that they served in. I'll give I mean, them the variability. Credit. The variability must be so extreme depending on where you go, who you're with, the community you become a part of. I mean, it's like saying study abroad is good or bad or like it's just going to totally depend. And you're just so young. If you said there's like a, uh, if you drop your book of Mormon jokes, what does that mean? Oh my goodness. So silly. But there, see it. In addition to like all these dark aspects of missions, there are these aspects that are humorous and so funny. And there's tons of like little inside jokes that like all missionaries make and pass along, you know, when they train. And this one in particular is so you carry around like a paperback blue copy of the Book of Mormon and like a little plastic protector all day as you're walking. So of course you drop it sometimes and your companion your companion will always just say like oh well your husband just gained 10 pounds uh which is just so silly so <laughs> oh it's like God. don't drop your book of mormon and i think just what i want to bring up about that too is that there is a belief that you will be blessed for your service and that you're you will like qualify for a more righteous spouse and mm. No one will explicitly say this, but it is like, well, if you're more righteous and you're a good missionary, like you're going to have a beautiful spouse. Uh, Mm. So that's what the joke is. There is a little bit underneath it, but. Fascinating. If you if you are dating somebody back home, you can only contact them on Mondays. Yep. Just by email. Oh, my God. So sad. (laughs) Um, So I know we only have like a few minutes, but when. When did you leave the church and did you have like, what do they call it? Like the shelf breaking moment? Yes. Okay. So I got back from my mission in June of 2016. That's when I was sexually assaulted. And I just one other thing to throw in there. Got married in November of 2017. Okay. So like a year and a half later, got married and I left the church, had my shelf breaking moment in March of 2018. So I'd been married for four months and I'd been home from my mission like less than two years. Mm -hmm. Um, And my shelf breaking moment was a scandal where a woman came out and there and she made allegations that a former president of the missionary training center raped her while she was a missionary in the mission training center. And that those allegations like it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back where I realized none of these motherfuckers are talking to God. Mm. Um, sorry, that was naughty, but yeah, that, <laughs> was, yeah, that was it. <laughs> I just realized if they called that leader, you know, that was supposed to come from God, that he was called to be a leader. And obviously that didn't come from God. Yeah. No. Those allegations, that woman has made many false allegations throughout her life, many lawsuits, um, like against P.F. Chang's for having shards of glass in her meal. Like, it, it is likely not 
a true allegation. It's one of the rare ones that's probably not after everything else that came out. Like this woman's had like 30 lawsuits against various companies and stuff. Um, However, it broke my shelf. So it it made you just pause for a moment and like really think about who was being believed to the ability to abuse power. I mean, there's a lot of abuse claims inside the Mormon church that are very much buried. It sounds like, I mean, they refer you to like a law firm that like works for the church. If so, it's all kept internal. There's not really a lot many checks and balances for those reports, I gather. Oh no, it goes. Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing is that their law firm, Kurt McConkie did pay for and prosecute the man in Bolivia who assaulted me. Um, okay. It was so intriguing working with them. Um, that was a huge shelf. Like those were items on my shelf before it broke because I was like, these lawyers are not led by God. They, you know, even though it's like the church's lawyers. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a hotline for bishops to call if someone get like lets them know about an abuse situation, and the hotline is directly to the law firm. So reports of abuse are responded with the church protecting itself. Not with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So you, so for the the years after you got back, the Mormon Church handled the prosecution of a person in another in another country. Yes, they did. That's interesting. Yeah, they partnered with a local lawyer in Bolivia as well. Um, but yeah, they did handle. So I will say they did that right. Yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that. This is an example of. Them actually yeah. following through with the claims to keep you safe because there are material things we have to do in this world, in this life with real consequences and not just leave it up to the big guy. And I guess I'm glad they saw that through just so that man's not doing that to somebody else. I agree. One little detail is that my dad is a lawyer and okay. he came with me to meet with them and kind of advocate for me. My mom's a lawyer now too. She just graduated law school a couple years ago. Uh, but I wonder. If the response would have been the same, if it was a missionary who didn't have two parents that were lawyers, you know what I mean? Uh, And privilege, right? right? Like my companion in my companion who was with me when we were assaulted, she's like from Chile. She's Chilean. And I'm certain that she has not had the same level of contact with the missionary department. Oh, Oh, so you, you don't necessarily go. I thought you met up with your companion at the training center in Utah and went together. But you, you could be matched with somebody else from a different country. You change companions between every six weeks and like three to four and a half months. Every six oh. weeks there's transfers. You could stay with a companion like one to three transfers. So I had like multiple companions throughout my mission. Well, that's kind of sucks, too, because if you get a good one and you're in cahoots to fudge some numbers, then you get separated. <laughs> <laughs> Although... If you hate their gods, you're it's, done it's after good. six weeks, too. <laughs> have you kept well, in touch with anyone? I have not. Um, you know, it's interesting because you think at the time that these relationships will last forever. May- I And maybe that's similar to relationships that other young people have, like with like your camp. college. Yeah, <laughs> your camp BFFs, your freshman year BFFs, your roommates, stuff like that. But no. And I will say when I came home, I just when I left the church, I was like, I don't really want to reach out to these people. Yeah. Um, 
I have a few friends from my mission that were that have also left the church and I'm in touch with them. They're the best. Oh, good. Well, I'm so sorry with what you went through and I'm sorry that you were robbed of some of your youth, but it sounds like you uh, very soon after were forced to come to terms with a lot of <laughs> what you had been taught. And I, I'm just amazed with ex-Mormons. I'm amazed with how much you have to unlearn the deconstruction of that. It runs so deep and I know it's not easy. And I'm just really amazed and impressed when people are even willing to like share that much of themselves with me, much less <laughs> the other best, because I think there are a lot of people that struggle um, thinking for themselves, wondering if they're doing the right thing. And it's just always oh. nice when you hear someone on the other side. Well, you're so kind. And I recognize now that, you know, especially from listening to you, that many evangelicals or people that just barely dabbled in religion also had a lot of unpacking to do. And we're in good company. Um, I also would not take it back for the world. I'm, I love my daily coffee and my tank tops now. So life is good. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than exercising than two hours of devotionals. My God, it, that's <laughs> waking up and doing devotionals was my, my least favorite part of religious camp. I would just doodle. Oh, truly. I, you know, I would just write my name with, who I'm going to marry, things like that, my journal. (laughs) Yeah, I'm taking notes on the scriptures. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, the Bible just is such a snooze. It would behoove them to have some more interesting literature to read. (laughs) Well, you're the best. This was fascinating. I hope we covered a lot of the ground you wanted. I thought your email was so interesting. The only other question I had was, did you, when you were in it, did you see the Book of Mormon musical? And do you have any feelings about it? I saw it. After my mission, after I left the church, oh my god, I'm I am a huge fan because it captured. Well, there are some criticisms of it, which I'll, I can mention, but it captured how it's like modern day colonialism so well because it shows yes. missionaries going to Africa. Um, I love the song "All American Prophet" because Joseph Smith truly was an all American prophet. Um, the criticisms would be that. While the creators of the Book of Mormon musical certainly got the Mormon part right, they did not get the African part right. I don't, you know, right, that's the right. criticism. But the the themes are hilarious. Um, it's so I absolutely good. loved it. It made me think deeper about colonialism, which I think is what good art does. But I mean, Andrew Rannell singing "I Believe" at the Emmys is like a video I watch once, probably once a month. <laughs> At the Emmys, I haven't. Or seen sorry, that the video. Tonys, the Tonys. Oh, oh, oh! I'm gonna have to look it up. Look it up. It, it's funny how it gives you even or like gives you Frizen style worship music goosebumps while being like an anti worship song. Um, but uh, anyways, you're the best. I gotta hop you on too. another call, but I'll let you know when this comes out. And this Sounds was great. great. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it so much. Likewise. So, all right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much to Tracy and Maddie. I just wanted to give you guys an example of some of the light and heavy pairings that I want to do with this series that, like I said, a lot of them will be on Patreon, but we have a lot of fun ones coming up that I just need time to edit, uh, you know, while having a baby. So we'll figure it out. But we have. So many interesting ones from um, finding, you know, via uh, ancestry, like swab test, that you have a parent who 
isn't who you thought they were and kind of the importance of the sharing of that information and um, the ability of, for people to know and figure out who you are, who they are and the power of these uh, DNA tests that can illuminate a lot about a person's background that they've kind of been robbed of if their family hasn't been honest about it. Um, we have a really great K-pop snorkel, also like an Olivia Rodrigo mini dive that also that talks about her relationship with Joshua Bassett, and Sabrina Carpenter, and the people's you know rumor feud with Taylor Swift. We have uh, why being single is the best and uh, see, reputation secret session at Holiday House. We have Twee culture. I mean, there's so many that I'm gonna edit and pair. And I just want these were two of the early ones I did that I thought were different but interesting in their own way. And please, for the love of God, watch the case of the Mystery Cruise if you know it's good for you, and maybe the one about the Navy too. <laughs> and yeah, I hope you guys have a great weekend and enjoyed the first installment of. Beth's in show. I will catch you next week. We're going to be reviewing a rom-com. So that's your homework for this week. So, you know, Claire and Emma from like here to make friends. They've like, they're, they're one of the first bachelor podcasts. I was on their show and we recapped 10 things I hate about you together. And I wanted to do a rom-com with them. And I chose the wedding planner because it's like kind of problematic and weird. And I think that we, as a, as a, as a society, were quite hard on Fran when like literally her fiance was stolen by a vendor. I mean, <laughs> like the wedding planner, like the whole thing's kind of a crazy story. And it's just a funny example of like a gal with a successful career who's unlucky in love. But now you watch it as an adult and you're like, she's eating her TV dinner with wine and we're supposed to feel bad for it because she doesn't have a boyfriend. But all three of us were like, oh my God, it looks like the, the best night ever. I don't know. I love revisiting rom-coms. So watch the wedding planner this week. Um, and come back for love to see it with Emma and Claire and Kate and lots of fun stuff, interviews and whatnot coming up for my quasi mat leave and, uh, bonus stuff on Patreon as well. So thank you guys. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.